Welcome in to the first regular season football episode of Titans Film Radio. I am your host, Justin Graver, and I am joined as always by James Esparza. The Titans have trimmed their roster to 53 players. We will react to the most surprising cuts and the most surprising keeps, as well as an incredibly surprising trade. Not just the Titans, the Texans have made four trades over the weekend. We will be discussing how that has shaped the AFC South landscape, including the Colts' recent news signing a new quarterback and extending the one on their roster. And then on Friday morning, James and I will be back to dive into the Cleveland Browns film. I've watched every game the Browns played last season, and I'm ready to talk about how the Titans can attack them schematically to come out with a win in week one. That's Friday morning. Today we have roster talk and news, so stick around, we are talking about it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Titans Film Room, at South Texas Titan. Go to MusicCityMiracles.com where all of our articles come out, and subscribe to the podcast feed so you can get our show as well as MCM Radio. And the episode starts right now. Was tail on? Was it just inconsistency, maybe that? that um, you know, I think you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I just think Khalif just played a little bit better than he did. All righty, it is football season. Welcome to Titans Film Radio. That's what I'm calling it now. James, how are you? I'm doing well, and I am so excited for the season. Let's get this started. Let us begin by discussing the final 53-man roster. And when I say final, I don't mean final because John Robinson is always looking to upgrade. So if somebody else gets cut here in the next few days or whatever, who knows what's going to happen? You never know with this guy what he's going to do. But right now, the 53-man roster is set. We had some surprise cuts and some surprise ads or keeps, I guess. One of the biggest surprising cuts to me was Corey Levin just because he was a guy that was a pretty versatile interior guy, had a lot of experience as a center for this team. He played in two games last year and thought that he was a guy we were hoping would progress to be the maybe eventual starter after Ben Jones, who was signed to an extension recently. Um, So I don't know why. I guess my guess is just that Corey Levin didn't show the, the progress or maybe just didn't show the versatility when they played him at guard. Maybe they didn't like what, he, how he performed, and he got picked up by the Broncos. What do you think of Corey Levin? Uh, I'm not too worried about it. Um, like you said, he was kind of a, a developmental piece, um, but I guess he really never showed anything to the coaching staff, and they decided to shoot him off. I think that he was replaced by Jameel Douglas, who will probably be the backup center and backup guards. David Quisenberry, who I didn't even wasn't even really on my radar to make the final roster, made it. I think Vrabel was talking about this in his press conference um, on Monday that he thought that they needed tackle depth specifically, so they kept Quisenberry because he can play tackle. Aaron Stinney did not make the team. who He was on the roster the entire season last year. He didn't make it this year, but he was added to the practice squad. And... So Questenberry will be on the team now. That's pretty interesting. And then we had uh, one of the most surprising moves I thought was Dawkins making it over Jeremy McNichols. 
it still hurts. It it hurts so much. Dalen Dawkins, who has been with the team for a little while, so he was with the team since before McNichols got here, well before. He he was on the practice squad for like a year. Yeah, for pretty much all of last season. And yeah. then during the preseason this year, he was injured for the for two weeks in the middle of the preseason. He missed the second and third preseason games. So he didn't really have a chance to show to us, peep the fans and observers who only get to see them when they play in the games and didn't get to see him all off season and all OTAs and then beginning a training camp before he got hurt the way that the coaching staff did and who knew him from all of last year and the scout practices every day when he's working on a practice squad, right? So I think that they may have liked Dawkins better all along and we just were never given that signal because he was out for those games. And then he comes out and is very explosive. We racked up a hundred and something rushing yards and 30 something more receiving yards, two touchdowns in the last preseason game, including the game winning final go ahead touchdown. So, I mean, he's a guy that could fill the Deion Lewis role. If Deion Lewis gets hurt, I know McNichols could do that too, but Dawkins may be able to do it a little better. He's a little shiftier. I think just in terms of his build, he has a slight build. So you maybe worry about injury a little more, but he's explosive. I mean, I'm, I liked McNichols, but I like Dawkins too, right? (laughs) Yeah, and Tony Dews loved Dawkins as well. That is correct. The most surprising kept player, and I said Dawkins over McWeapon was pretty surprising, but the most surprising to me was Khalif Raymond making the team. Not because I didn't like Khalif Raymond and not because I didn't want him to make the team. I think he's a good little piece that could contribute in some ways if, if he has to play at some point this year. But because of the way that they distributed the reps, I mean, Taewon Taylor did not play in the fourth preseason game. Khalif Raymond played almost the entire game, and he was very productive. And as we heard Rob Moore say at the beginning of this episode, he just played better than Taewon did. So that is pretty interesting. Khalif Raymond making the 53-man roster. Kudos to you, James. You called it. It's so satisfying to see um, someone doing better than Taewon and actually see them kind of make that transition um, versus just feeling despair. And if he has to play, I feel like he could have a Cameron Batson-like impact, you know, where he won't play that many snaps, but when he does get out there, he'll be where he's supposed to be and catch the ball and make it. That's all we want. Yep. That's all we want. So the quarterback Logan Woodside was not kept on the 53-man roster, but he was also not claimed. So he will be back on the Titans practice squad along with outside linebacker Derek Roberson, and a few other guys, Amani Bledsoe. An interesting one to me is Ukeme Aligwe, who was claimed uh, in the middle of training camp. He ended up sticking enough to make the practice squad. Tight end Parker Hesse. Wide receivers Cody Hollister and Poppy White, who both had pretty good preseasons themselves. And a lot, a lot of fans I know were in on Cody Hollister. So he will be sticking around. He'll be on the scout team. He's on the practice squad. And they kept Kareem Orr. Defensive back, which I am excited about because he has uh, some pretty raw skills, but he is pretty raw. We saw him get beat in the fourth preseason game for a touchdown. I went back and watched that play. He wasn't beat horribly. He just didn't get his head around in time. So he's a little raw, but I like that they're keeping him on to develop. And finally, they claimed offensive lineman Adam Panky, I think is how you say it, from Green Bay. Uh, Panky. Panky Panky. Panky Panky. Um... Don't really know much about him except that he apparently declined an invitation to join the Packers practice squad. 
and somehow ended up on our practice squad. So that's interesting. I don't with Matt Lafleur's playbook. I don't blame him. <laughs> so that is interesting, and so that rounds out the Titans practice squad. That's pretty much um, the end of the surprising keeps and cuts. One final note for the fifty-three man roster was the Titans claimed defensive back Chris Milton from the Colts, waived by the Colts, and sent Josh Kalu to IR. We mentioned how Josh Kalu was injured during the fourth preseason game and sat out, so we didn't know how bad his injury was, but it looks like he'll miss most of, likely, all of this the season. He made the 53-man roster, so if the Titans wanted to bring him back, they could, because that's how the IR works. Like, Cam Batson cannot be brought back this year because he was never on the Titans' final 53-man roster. But Kalu was after the deadline. And then t- I think it was Monday. Was it Monday or Sunday? The Titans claimed Chris Milton and sent Kalu. I think it was Monday. Sent Kalu Monday. to IR. So, um, so Kalu could return if if we have a special teams injury or defensive back injury. Kalu could be the guy that comes back. We'll see what happens there. And you guys may be wondering about one thing we have not mentioned yet. James, do you want to tell them the news? It was the end of an era, but it was oh so beautiful. We sent Drops McGee, aka Taywan Taylor, to the Browns to uh, confuse the Browns defense uh, with our offensive playbook, um, so Taywan Taylor could tell them all about our offense and everything that he doesn't know about it. And we kept Khalif Raymond, so I'm really happy about that. Um, the Titans also got a seventh-round pick back from the Browns, so if they end up sending that seventh, that conditional seventh to the Packers, they'll get one back from the Browns here, or they will definitely get one back. If Gilbert ends up like not making the roster or not meeting that incentive, they could have two seventh-round picks. Not that seventh-round picks are all that valuable, but it says a whole lot that the Titans coaching staff said this slightly older undrafted free agent, Khalif Raymond, is in a seventh round flyer. I don't think any of John Robinson's seventh round picks are still on the Titans roster right now. So seventh round flyer is hardly worth anything. But it was more valuable than Taewon Taylor. And not only that, they sent Taewon Taylor to, as you mentioned, the Titans week one opponent, which some are, I've heard some concerns about this, which I mean, there's, there's legitimate concerns here, but the fuck is he gonna tell i hate to be mean about it but honestly and this is something that rob moore we played a a quick clip from rob moore's interview after practice on monday he went on to say when he was asked what he told taewon taylor the last things he said to him kind of a goodbye to him and he was like i just told him you know when you get there you really got to find a way to get your head in the playbook and learn how what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to be and you know what that tells you is like i think that that's the reason. That's the why it never worked out for Taewon Taylor. It wasn't the athletic ability. It was he didn't have whatever it, you need to have at this level of football to be the guy who's in his playbook and know where he's supposed to be. So all that said, I don't think it's a concern that Taewon Taylor is going to the Titans week one opponent. At the end of the day, it's about more than week one. Even if it was a concern, it's about more than week one. You know, this is a small if they were the team that was willing to take him, you know, and give us something rather than just releasing him outright or putting him on fake IR or something crazy like that. Um, I think it's, it's fine. This also tells me that I don't think the Titans would have started their game planning for the Cleveland Browns yet. We always kind of wonder 
when they start looking ahead at that next opponent when they're on preseason week four that doesn't matter at all but i don't think they have they would have started the install and then traded him maybe they briefly started the install but there'll be a lot of counters and things that they have to put in that taiwan would have no clue about yet they probably started that install on monday the second i know they were back at practice on monday so that was probably the beginning of cleveland browns week so i don't think that we have to worry about taiwan giving information to the other side i think it's just i mean it's interesting third round pick I got a little flack on Twitter for calling him a total bust. Would you classify him as a total bust? Absolutely. And to think, sit, sit down and think about it. Like, he couldn't figure out where to be in three years here with the Titans. And you're telling me that he's going to do it in a week with the Browns. On top of that, just basically he's going to be sitting in that defensive room with the defensive guys trying to tell them where everybody's supposed to be when he doesn't even know where he's supposed to be. I mean... Really? You're that worried about it? And even then, even if he goes out and he actually runs just some go routes, you think he's going to catch it? Yeah, exactly. Taewon's going to... Okay, I'm going to credit Two-Tone Fanatics, at Two-Tone Fanatics on Twitter. I thought this was hilarious. They tweeted, quote, Trust me, coach, that's going to be a five-yard slant to Davis. Mariota completes 50-yard bomb to Corey Davis down the sideline. Like, that's a funny joke, and it's a very... um positive optimistic viewpoint of what could happen in this game but i think that i mean that's kind of what i was talking about when i said they haven't if they put in anything yet they didn't put in any counters yet so anyway that's pretty much all i have on taewon taylor i think it's great that we got anything back for him it's crazy that a third round pick from two years ago in his third season is already gone for just a seventh round pick he had so much promise as a prospect athletically and everything and i would i was high on him when he came out of the draft a lot of people were but it is what it is. Khalif Raymond is what Taewon Taylor was supposed to be, so I don't think you can look at it as like a waste of a third-round pick. We have a player that we didn't give up any draft capital for to take his role, but it just, I mean, he is a bust. It's disappointing, it's disappointing yeah. and he's definitely a bust, and if you don't think he's a bust, then you're crazy. He contributed in like two games in his entire career, the Jets and the, I don't know, maybe three games. He had a great catch against the Jaguars, a touchdown against the Colts, and a few good plays against the Jets. That's literally like, that's what I remember of Taewon Taylor. Three plays in t- in two years. And what? Uh, that's probably more touchdowns than he had his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. 53 career receptions and two total touchdowns with his time here with the Titans. Well, in his defense, the Titans haven't had a whole lot of passing touchdowns in recent seasons. <laughs> Two touchdowns! But is he the reason for that? I mean, he definitely dropped a few. All right, let's move on. The Titans return to practice on Monday. We'll probably have to wait until Wednesday to get our first injury report. But Mike Vrabel, I guess he forgot because it sounded like he caught himself and realized that he didn't want to give this information away as soon as he said it, thinking he was giving out a practice report, but he's not giving it out till Wednesday. He said on Monday... Harold Landry was a full participant, which is great news. That means that he's totally back. Another guy who practiced was Nate Davis. We're not sure if he was a full participant or if he only participated in the open session in the beginning. They Somebody said he was limited during that session, so I don't know how much teamwork he got today, which was not open to the press. Again, we'll have to wait till Wednesday to get official injury reports. Somebody who missed practice was De- Dennis Kelly, which is slightly alarming considering he's supposed to start against Miles Garrett in a matter of days, but 
Vrabel specifically said that the absence of Kelly should not cause any alarm. So, don't be alarmed. Even though we are alarmed, who knows if Kelly has some mystery virus again or what the heck. Vrabel wasn't like, oh, he's fine. It was just a whatever. He was like, um, you know, I, I just don't think it should cause any alarm or something like that. Like, that's Sit down, really... take a deep breath. Justin, take a breath. Titans fans, take a breath. Deep in, out. In, out. We're fine. If he's not practicing on Friday, you can start freaking out. Yep, fair enough. Reggie Gilbert did not practice also. As we said, he's recovering from uh, some sort of knee scope or some procedure. Yeah, we don't plan to see him until at least week two. And we also had a great report on running back Derrick Henry. Derrick did not get any real contact work during the preseason or training camp. So I don't know if he needs that kind of work. He's a freaking monster beast. So I don't know physically. I mean, I don't know if he'll be rusty when it comes to like shaking off contact and using his deadly stiff arm. I don't know if he'll be able to pick up where he left off in December of last year, especially if teams are crowding the box early on, especially against a strong front like Cleveland's. So it's great that Derrick Henry's back. He needs to get, you know, back into condition. I'm sure he's in great shape. He's a hard worker. He's definitely going to be in physical shape. It's just about shaking off that rust. I don't know if he's going to be victim to it. It's something I'm a little concerned about, especially for the early part of the year with no Taylor Lewan. But it's great that he's back at practice. He might come out a little sluggish, and I think we should uh, not expect him to be in December form, but uh, I think he's going to be just fine. And the season's about ramping up to the end of the year anyway. If you want to make a playoff push, you need to be playing your best football at the end of the year, not the beginning of the year. That's what I'm expecting from this team, unfortunately, this season, just because of a lot of new moving pieces in this offense and to get rolling. But we will see more when we come back from a quick break. Let's talk about what's going on around the division because a lot of interesting news in Indianapolis and even, I mean, just insane amount of crazy news coming from Houston. So we'll talk about that in a second. Now NFL Network Insider Ian Rappaport posting this for Patriots backup QB Brian Hoyer signing with the Colts. Three-year deal worth $12 million, a new home, and a big spot filled behind another teammate, Jacoby Brissett. James, we go to you for an instant reaction. (laughs) That's my reaction. Brian Hoyer knows this division. He was with Houston. Is that... That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He He was with Houston... And then he went to the, he went to the Pats right after it. No, Houston was back in 2015. Actually, I just looked this up on Wikipedia. I don't just know these things. Um, the Chicago Bears in 2016, San Francisco 49ers in 2017, and then the New England Patriots, also in 2017 and 2018. And now the Indianapolis Colts. If Jacoby Brissett gets hurt, will be playing Brian Hoyer. I mean, sounds pretty scary there. Honestly, whatever. I mean, Brian Hoyer is a competent backup as opposed to, I don't know even know who they had behind him. What was it? Chad Kelly, I think. Chad um, Kelly. Who, like, has some talent but is a complete and total wild card and would never feel comfortable with him as your starting quarterback. 
at least not right now. So, yeah, I mean, this is insurance for them. It's like what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill slash light version of it. It's not the exact same because Ryan Tannehill is much better. But who cares? The real news here is that they extended Jacoby Brissett to a two-year, $30 million deal. Wow. Okay. So they have some confidence in Jacoby Brissett, I guess. And they also have the cap space. They probably didn't even feel that. Yeah, they have tons of cap space. And by the time Jacoby Brissett's off the books, if like they won't, they could sign another big time quarterback or they have so much money right now. Uh. To me, I think Jacoby Brissett is their planned starter for all of 2019. That much is obvious. This tells me, this tells me they might be looking to draft a quarterback next year or the year after and use Jacoby Brissett as the guy who is their bridge, their starter, while that draft pick learns for who knows how long. Patrick Mahomes sat for a whole year. Jared Goff sat for half a season. Some guys don't sit at all. Maybe he'll win the job out of camp or something, but I think that they would. that would be their plan, would take Brissett in as the guy who's going to hand the reins over to a draft pick. Unless Brissett is able to prove in 2019 that he can be a franchise quarterback, in which case they have him for... That they extended him for a pretty team. So two years tells me they're planning for Trevor Lawrence. Now here's a question: Is the two-year extension added on? I think so. So maybe it's three years because they get 2019, 21, 20, and 21. The new deal will secure Brissett through 2021. Yes. So that's a that's a. I mean, if you're the Colts, uh, you have to have your eyes on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, who doesn't, right? That could be the plan. But is Brissett bad enough for the Colts to get Trevor Lawrence? Or are the Colts going to be willing think, to just give up the farm to go get him? I think they'd be willing to give up the farm to go get him. You already have the team built. I mean, all you need is a quarterback because that's what Andrew Luck was. And people were calling you a Super Bowl contender. Go out, get Trevor Lawrence, and so fucking watch out. I don't want that. Those motherfuckers fall ass backwards into quarterbacks, and that's not fair. This would this would be their most like planned and I don't know about deserved but but at least planned like it wouldn't just be Peyton Manning happens to break his neck the year that Andrew Luck is going to be the best prospect that we've ever seen or anything you know so but still I mean it's it's a good move by the Colts yeah I hate to see the Colts making good moves but Chris Ballard is a good GM the Colts are not going to be like some bad team this year just because Andrew Luck's not playing. Their defense was stout last year. Their defensive coordinator got a lot out of young players who d- weren't that highly touted in terms of talent, and they played very well last year as a defense. Their offensive line is going to help any quarterback be at least mildly successful. So the fact that Jacoby Brissett is their quarterback doesn't suddenly make the Colts some pushover team. The AFC South is still going to be competitive. True. And I think when you have Frank Reich, who's, I w- would you call him an offensive genius? I think he's pretty goddamn good. At this point, after what he did in Philly and after what he's what he did last year in, in Indy, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's going to gear that offense towards Jacoby. Um, I mean, he was pretty much doing that with during the preseason with the Andrew Lunk injury. Um, and he probably knew about that retirement, what, a few days before at least? Yeah, maybe. Uh I don't know. That's the interesting thing. I've been listening to a lot of people talk about this, and it seems like there were some people in the building who kind of 
thought or maybe maybe suspected slightly that this might happen one day or I heard somebody on the radio, I can't remember who, so I apologize for not crediting this, but somebody said that like if there was a guy in the NFL that would just retire young out of nowhere, Andrew Luck was that guy and people in NFL circles knew that and knew that about him and stuff like so well no shit they never protected him he was always injured and he took a bunch of beatings and it was like um dan levitard had said um the reason they maybe settled and gave him his money instead of trying to reclaim that was how badly they handled his health and his situation so the colts are still going to be a competitive team would you give the coaching staff edge to indianapolis or tennessee honestly i would give it to the colts um Frank Reich is a Super Bowl winning coach. He's not a player Nick like Nick Foles. <laughs> With Nick Nick fucking Foles. And you have that defensive coordinator who did rather well. I mean, I'm not saying DMPs didn't do well, but if Matt I had to Eberfuss. get the edge. Matt Eberfuss. Yeah. Who's probably going to be a head coach very soon in this league. Exactly. Can't be soon enough. But I think that this season with Jacoby Brissett under center will answer the question for us. If Jacoby Brissett is ex- like productive and a and the Colts are a winning team, then that will show you Frank Reich is a is a coach to be reckoned with. But if they kind of crash and burn, and it looks like maybe Andrew Luck had the offense carried a little more than we realize, based on his ability to I don't know move subtly in the pocket and make his offensive line look a little better than it is, and hit players as the the rush is getting there. Jonathan Hutton was talking about this on the Midday 180 a lot, about how Lux had that ability to get the ball out at the last second when it felt like the sack was had, like you had him, and he somehow gets the ball out on third and 11 for a 15-yard gain and converts the first down. And those are the little details that, the little subtleties Hutton said that, we're kind of overlooking that Andrew Luck is able to do that a Jacoby Brissett probably doesn't bring to the table as a player, which is a really interesting point. So we'll see how much Brissett can be a productive quarterback in this offense with Frank Reich, and that will really answer the question on how good of a coaching staff the Colts have. And that's not a shake at the Titans coaching staff because I think we have a really good staff here. But let's not forget this ND team came in on week 17. Granted, we didn't have Mariota and beat us and went to the playoffs. So, Yep, that's true. And the Titans coaching staff showed a lot of ability to adapt and be able to you know, out-coach last year, especially in that week two game against the Texans when they ran the Wildcat and our passing leader was Kevin Byard. And, you know, so... Yeah, the Titans. Like after four games last year, Mike Vrabel was getting buzzed as an early coach of the year candidate, if you remember. And then the Titans lost like four games in a row, I think, after that. Um, if, if I don't hear him as coach of the like say we go 10 and 6 after everybody's predicting us to go fucking 0 and 16, like it seems to be every year, and he doesn't have any kind of coach of the year recommendations, I will fucking riot. Amen. And with that, we will take another very quick brief, just as a quick break. One commercial, I promise. A smidge. A smidge. And then we're going to talk about all the crazy shit that went down in Houston. (laughs) 
One of the top defensive linemen in football is headed to the great Northwest. Texans' former number one overall pick, Jadavion Clowney, was traded to Seattle. In his prime, and a three-time Pro Bowler for a third-round draft pick and a couple of backup defensive players. The Texans agree to trade Jadavion Clowney. Everyone's talking about this one. A lot of fans are upset. The Kansas City Chiefs have made a trade. They have traded running back Carlos Hyde to the Houston Texans for Martinez Rankin. A huge, big-time, franchise-altering trade for the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins. First of all, for the Texans, they get franchise left tackle Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, and a couple draft picks. But clearly, Tunsil is the centerpiece of this deal, one of the best left tackles in football. Yes, that's right. You heard that correctly. If you somehow missed the news, the Houston Texans made four trades over cutdown weekend, which significantly altered their team on both sides of the ball particularly in the trenches. Let's just run through really quickly the details. So first, the Texans traded Jadavian Clowney for a couple of backup linebackers, Barkevius Mingo, who's been largely a bust, and Jacob Martin, as well as a third round 2020 draft pick. What? Jadavian Clowney? He's like, I think he's like second or third in tackles for loss since 2016. He's not ever really even played in position like correct he should be a 4-3 end and he plays a lot of standing up in Houston I just can't believe that the Seahawks get to add a player of this caliber for such a a bargain not to mention Houston paid half of his tender that is correct Houston is paying what eight seven mil seven million dollars this season to Clowney 7.5 something like that to play for another team then they traded a depth guard tackle who they tried to make as a starter last year, a former third round pick for Carlos Hyde, who was like 50th out of 60 running backs in average yards after contact last season. And a guy who really started to show that he was wearing down on the back end of his career uh, last year in Jacksonville, running behind a terrible offensive line in Houston. Well, and now they don't have this depth offensive lineman Houston Offensive line is already a struggle. Then they traded a 2026 round pick to the Patriots for a defensive back named Keon Crossen, who I've never heard of. They already don't have um, a lot of picks because, or I guess they didn't already have a lot of picks when this happened, but that will deplete their draft capital even further because they gave up a 2020 first round pick, a 2021 first round pick, a 2021 second round pick, left tackle Julian Davenport, cornerback Johnson Batamosi, who I've never heard of, to the Miami Dolphins for a couple of picks in the on day three in the next two drafts, and left tackle Laramie Tunsil, as well as wide receiver Kenny Stills. Holy shit, the Texans have completely changed the look of their offensive line and defensive line. What the hell? <laughs> Do you know how you keep, you know how you keep job security is you leave no draft capital for the next regime, so nobody wants to come here. Honestly, it's crazy that I mean. So the Texans don't have a general manager, and it's definitely safe to wonder if they got completely fleeced because of the fact that Bill O'Brien is trying to be the GM and the head coach. It's like when someone tries to represent themselves in court. It just it, it it's not going to end well. It's like when a player tries to represent themselves in a contract 
negotiation, like Richard Sherman or oh. Richard Matthews, they get fucked over. Now, Laramie Tunsil is a close to, if not elite, offensive tackle, but the Dolphins were among the leaders in sacks given up last year with elite player Laramie Tunsil anchoring down the left side. It takes cool. a unit to make an offensive line work, and I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter about this, people talking about how the there are position groups that you can add one player at a position that boosts the entire team. Edge rusher like Khalil Mack when the Bears traded for Khalil Mack is one of them. Quarterback is obviously the number one. But left tackle, left tackle can improve your pass protection, but left tackle is not going to be a significant boost to your offense unless it is a part of a good offensive line altogether. So cool. We'll see we just don't rush from the left side. Yeah, exactly. We'll see how little, how Tunsil can do, how much he can do for this line. But my suspicion is they're still going to have plenty of problems in Houston. Not only that, but Tunsil is now going to hold all of the leverage when it comes to a contract negotiation because there's no guarantee that he's going to sign an extension with them. And now they might have to franchise tag him just like they did with Clowney. And if he holds out for a deal, he'll have all the leverage here. And the Texans will have given up so much capital for him already that they'll be almost forced to pay whatever he asks. They also got Kenny Stills, who is a pretty good player who has burned the Titans in the past. I think he caught a 70-yard touchdown against them last season or two years ago. I don't remember exactly. He definitely scored a long touchdown recently. He's now going to be the third receiver in Houston and pretty great insurance if Will Fuller, who has not been able to stay healthy, if he gets hurt, Kenny Stills can fill that deep role almost as well as former first-round pick Will Fuller. Yeah. Um, Laramie Tunsil is going to buy a gas mask uh, with two bongs (laughs) instead of one because of the amount of leverage that he has on the Texans right now. And by all means, that big man should celebrate because he has literally landed in a gold mine. It's so true. And I think that the Titans will be able to come up with some packages that they can attack this with where you you put someone like Landry or Cameron Wake one-on-one with Tunsil, and then you got Casey and whoever you didn't put on Tunsil on the other side and Evans and all your uh, linebacker blitzes and slot corner blitzes, and you run stunts in games with your down linemen. You let Tunsil... Go one-on-one if your guy can beat him, which is, I mean, Tunsil's not going to win the matchup all game. And the Texans aren't going to be able to help Tunsil, not that they'll ever want to. They'll have to be applying that help to the weak points of their line, which is, you know, right, which is left guard through right tackle. I mean, it's great. As a Titans fan, there is a lot going on. It looks like the Texans are really going for it this season based on maybe Andrew Lux retiring. You said that earlier to me. Sorry for stealing that just now. Um, And I think that's going to be an interesting thing for the Titans because the AFC South, like I said, the Colts are no pushover. The Texans are going for it. I mean, regardless of what you think of this trade for their future, it definitely helps them this season. Like they improved the offensive line. How much? That's what we'll see. But they definitely got way better with these trades for 2019. So this division is going to be pretty interesting. Slow and steady wins the race. Everybody is throwing their chips on the table, trying to battle this out, trying to win. And we are quietly doing our thing and improving year by year. And do you really think the Texans are going to be competing for a Super Bowl this year? Do you really think the Colts are going to be competing for a Super Bowl this year? 
do you really think the Titans are going to be competing for a Super Bowl this year? No. But we are getting better each and every year. And it just seems like these teams are getting more and more reckless. Um, I'm not going to do that to Chris Ballard because I know he's a really good GM, but the Texans in general, they're just throwing their dick out on the table right now, and I think it's too soon. So <laughs> it's it's. I just don't think it's going to work out for the Texans. I think they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to – for what they're doing, like you do this when you are – like you're a piece away from a Super Bowl, but they still haven't fixed that offensive line. Right, so right. it's just it, – I don't know why they did that, but I, I mean it makes me happy. Yes, the Texans. I think the Texans are honestly like an 8-8 eight and eight team. Last season, they went on the most improbable 10-game win streak I've ever seen. It required so many coaching blunders by their opponents for them to come out on top. It also required Nathan Peterman to somehow get put into the last two minutes of the game against the Bills. When the Texans played the Bills, Josh Allen got hurt. Nathan Peterman comes in and throws two interceptions in the final minute of the game, including a pick six. I mean, like, what the heck? You know, it's just crazy. So the Texans are a candidate to regress in terms of win, win loss totals this year. I think they're an eight and eight team. But the problem is, I don't know if the Titans are a nine and seven team with the schedule they have this year. I think that they're a better team than they were last year. But we talked about this on our last podcast. They have so many quarterbacks that are talented that they've got to face. They really are going to have to be able to keep up with them. The off the defense will do its job, but the offense is going to have to keep up. So I honestly think 9-7 and seven could win the division, which would be funny if the Titans went 9-7 and seven for a fourth year in a row. But, hey, it's going to be competitive towards the end, even if these aren't 12-win teams. You know what I mean? Right. So. All right. Well, we talked for 40 minutes. Yeah. And we're probably going to talk for 40 minutes on the next one when we cover the Browns. And Justin is going to be going in-depth with um, what the Browns are as a team and how we can expose them. It's going to be really exciting. I'm going to ask him all kinds of questions, and you should really tune into that. Uh, you can follow him at Titans Film Room for all of your Titans coverage. You can follow me at South Texas Titan for jokes and just a uh, good time. That is correct. You know, I watched every game that the Browns played last season, including the ones from before Freddie Kitchens, just so I could get sort of a comparison to how Baker was playing before and after. I'm ready to do this. Yeah. So we'll be back on Friday morning. Does that sound right? Yeah. Friday morning. Catch us before the game on Sunday. Titans are playing football in less than a week. It's football season. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm so excited. One, two, three, four, boys. For the boys. Do I have the one? For the boys on three. One, two, three. For the boys!